Hello and welcome to Conversations in Clean Tech, the podcast that celebrates the clean tech industry and the people that power it, brought to you by Brightsmith. I'm your host, Jenny Gladman, and for this fourth season, I'll be interviewing leaders, forward thinkers, and entrepreneurs from around the world to explore the opportunities, challenges, and rewards of working in clean tech, and more specifically within hydrogen. We'll be hearing from individuals with very different focuses within hydrogen, but with one clear goal of how we can fuel a cleaner, greener future. In addition, they'll be offering you some tokens of wisdom to enlighten, engage, and inspire everyone to live their purpose every single day. So today is the final episode of our hydrogen series, which was due to be a fairly short series, but uh, because of demand, we're now on episode nine. Uh, And today's guest is joining me from the beautiful but freezing cold land of the fjords. He is the CEO of Norwegian startup making big waves in the PEM electrolyzer space and also a lover of ice swimming. It's my pleasure to welcome Frederick Mowell, CEO of High Star to today's show. Frederick, how are you? Welcome. Fine. Thank you for having me, John. It's a pleasure to be here. You attributed a few things to my daily life, which are probably slightly exaggerated, including the ice swimming, but we do, I do have colleagues who jump into the sea here on a regular basis. So it, it is cold here, though. The initiation to High Star, a quick swim in the sea. <laughs> yes, let's say that. I'm not sure if it'll attract more people or scare people away, so... We might need to be. We might need to test that. Uh, well, yeah. Welcome to Conversations in Clean Tech. And before we delve deeper into the PEM electrolyzers, hydrogen production, it would be great to give our listeners a bit of a who are you? You've had quite a career, so if you can summarize it for us, but but touch on some of the places that you've lived and worked and what you've done, that would be fantastic. Yeah. Well, thanks, Jen. Well, first of all, I'm I'm Norwegian originally, but I've lived most of my life outside of Norway. And I'm half Japanese as well, so I'm a bit of a bit of a mongrel, you could say. But I have uh, I have been working in the clean energy industry for for most of, most of my career, most of the time in the Netherlands with a gas turbine business that I started with my family, and uh, I moved back to Norway five years ago and went all in specifically in the hydrogen space. So so that was kind of the I've returned home and I've. Uh, also focused on hydrogen for the last uh, five years, but I've been in the kind of adjacent uh, space within the energy business for, for most of my career. And um, and normally we finish the show with life lessons, but I think you've had a fairly interesting one. And like you say, you come from two different cultures. You've lived in different countries. You also studied in Wales, which is also a, a fascinating that's right. <laughs> um, so I'd like to start on that based on the fact that you have had all of this cultural exposure. And I think as a CEO, that that makes you a better CEO. What are the sort of lessons that you've learned along the way from different cultures? Well, I think, you know, what you mentioned about different cultures and living in different countries, I find that very interesting and it makes life more interesting, I think, when you have that, uh, when you have multiple dimensions to uh, to draw from and to, to experience from. So, you know, we've transferred that into how we recruit and build uh, build High Star as well. We have a lot of different nationalities, but it's also helpful business-wise. So I think um, this is something that helps when you're doing international business, which is 
which has been part of my career. You know, it's always been globally oriented, if you like, and it just helps to have diversity and have more languages and cultures and so on. So that's one lesson, but I would say the main lesson for me is that you pursue something and work with something that you, you're passionate about and that you're really interested in, you know, because you spend, it's a cliche in a way, but you spend most of your life at work other than sleeping and uh, a few hours of uh, pastime. So I think really working with something that you enjoy and surrounding yourself with people who challenge you and who can be an inspiration and who are smarter than you ideally as well. I think as a CEO, you have to try and hire people who are smarter than you. Uh, so far, so good. I think uh, most of my colleagues are at least as smart as I am, and uh, that makes my life a lot easier. Certainly. And now coming on to, I guess, the smart bit and the technology and, and where Highstar came from, and I always like to, to do that start at the beginning. Um, one thing I always think is exciting is that very early stage. And I know, like many business, you were a living room business looking for funding, wondering how you were going to get it and starting those um, applications and talking to investors. Can you talk us through what that looked like in the early stages? So I can do that. I've been an entrepreneur most of my life as well. So I have started a few companies uh, in the clean energy space. I raised a lot of funding before, so it wasn't new to me. But every new company is a new, is a clean slate and uh, Past success doesn't guarantee future success either. So it was a nice opportunity for me to start with a clean slate and think about you know, what can we do or what can I do better this time around and how do I want to set this company up. It's uh, sort of a liberating feeling to have that uh, clean, clean, fresh start. And I had time to, to plan that quite well together with my co-founders who, who were from Sintef, the research institute in Norway. So our big advantage was that we had a technology that was uh, extensively tested and, and verified, you could say, but you still need to start a company. So, so we had a bit of a flying start. I had a good uh, relationship with uh, what became our lead investors, AP Ventures in London. I had worked with them, co-invested with them in another case. So I've also been on the other side of the table as an investor at various points in my career. So, so we actually had the uh, funding in place before we started the company. So, so this was uh, the first time I've, <laughs> I've done it that way. And so it's not the typical way, but we had uh, the benefit of having a strong funding team, I would say, with uh, a mix of really deep and, uh, uh, and good technology skills. And uh, I had some experience on the business side and starting companies and raising funding within within the sort of relevant uh, space that Highstar is in. So we had a, uh, a pretty smooth start and uh, a flying start, if you like. So we had, uh, but it's still, uh, it's a challenge to set up any company and um, regardless of whether it's uh, a hot dog stand or whether you're setting up a company like Highstar and we aim to be uh, an industry leader and and grow to be a very large company. So getting the right people in place to start with is uh, certainly the key, key ingredient. And uh, that's really the most important thing, if I should mention one thing, is to have, have the right uh, founding team. And then that just carries on. You need to build up on that and build a fantastic team. Then everything else becomes a lot easier. 
So, you know, there are lots of challenges, but they're a lot easier to overcome if, you, if you're obsessive about having and bringing together the best possible people, but people who can work together as well and who share, share the same values. So we actually spent, and I spent more time focusing on that this time around than in my previous businesses. You know, it's, uh, it's seen as a bit fluffy and vague sometimes to talk about what kind of values you want to have in a company, but you know, we, if you define them and use them actively to build a company, you can also create, create a good culture. At least in my book, you know, having, having the, the people create a culture, it's sort of hard to say. And I have a bunch of people and you tell them to behave and act in a certain way. That's, that's more difficult. I'm, I'm not able to do that, at least. But I think you're right. And actually, um, something that we've discussed in previous discussions is around the team. And I think, rightly or wrongly, a lot of people may assume that teams in Norway are, are very Norwegian. Um, and this certainly isn't the case for you. And I think it's probably not irrelevant that you've created this strong culture because I think when people are moving internationally for a position they need to feel like they have a home or in a different place and I think when you have those strong culture values running through the business actually people can feel that alignment very quickly and you've brought together a team of you know 20 odd nationalities in a team that's not even double that size so maybe one of those kind of core things that brings the team together is difference in that you know, you're bringing so many people with such different thought processes and, and experiences together that in itself becomes the norm. Yes, in a way, the common denominator at High Star is diversity and it is, you know, having a lot of different nationalities, but we share kind of a common enthusiasm and passion for clean energy. That's that's one thing. Um, passion is one of our values, by the way. And we also, another value is ambition and that's... Uh, you know, if you, if you move from halfway around the world, you might not even have lived outside your own country. It takes a certain amount of guts and drive and, and initiative. And uh, we have Norwegians as well here, so we, we don't sort of uh, discriminate against Norwegians as such. But, um, but we like to have that uh, mix, and I think uh, it creates uh, a more interesting and fun workplace, and it helps us uh, business-wise. You know, we had a very interesting meeting earlier today with a potential strategic partner in Egypt, and one of our recent hires is from Egypt, uh, studied in London. We have uh, two Spanish colleagues who have uh, one joined us today, another one joined us uh, a few months ago, and we have some very interesting business opportunities there. And then that's sort of an added uh, added benefit that you that you have that uh, sort of ace up your sleeve, uh, sleeve if you like, and you can interact with people in, in, in a more efficient way. Yeah, and probably incredible for them because it may be people who wouldn't normally be in those discussions, but because they bring a language skill to the table, it, it's a real learning opportunity for them. Yes, and we tend to hire quite uh, a mix, but I, I, I prefer in a way to hire people who are in the earlier parts of their career, and we hire a lot of people straight from university. They have to be kind of passionate and bright and uh, energetic and versatile and kind of fit in with our team, but they get a lot of opportunity quickly and they can develop. And then we mix that up with some experienced uh, old dogs like myself, uh, <laughs> who hopefully bring something to the table as well. Uh, so having that, uh, that kind of diversity as well uh, is something that we focus on. If you have kind of uh, the same kind of uh, 
age group, same nationality, same everything, life becomes uh, boring in my, in my book at least. And we actually have, and this is something we were, I have to be honest and, and say we didn't really set out to, to focus on this specifically and other than getting the best people, but we have about 40% uh, of our, our employees are, are women as well. So that's also a relatively, we, we get a lot of, uh, a lot of positive uh, feedback on that, uh, on that metric as well. I mean, it's brilliant. And, and there are other companies doing it, but it's certainly not the norm. So I think you have to commend yourself on all of those fronts. And, and actually, I guess that comes back to the point we just touched on that where diversity is the norm, everyone feels more comfortable. So uh, I guess that, that will actually just continue as you grow. Of course, you need to be able to attract candidates as well and you know, to be seen as an interesting, interesting company to work for. And you know, there we have we benefit, you know, we like to believe that we're, we're, I believe we're the most interesting company in the world, but I'm, uh, I'm highly subjective. <laughs> but uh, what has helped is that the general public opinion and the general trend towards uh, sustainable energy and kind of green technology has, uh, has been quite strong the last few years. And I've been you know, in this business for more than 20 years and I've experienced a, def- a definite shift in the last uh, few years. You know, it's uh, more interesting and cooler now to work for uh, both a sort of more of a growth company rather than a very large company and also to work in uh, work with renewable energy compared to big, big oil, for instance, you know, that, that there's a definite shift there. So we have the, we've received a lot of interest and in a lot of candidates. And then you also have the opportunity to select the, 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 the candidates you feel would fit, fit best into the team. Great. And also the bold claim that you're the only electrolyzer company in the world that's on a beach. <laughs> yes, that's, uh, I think that's definitely, that's probably a claim that no one will dispute because uh, <laughs> we are on the beach and uh, <laughs> I haven't seen anybody else. Our other main claim to fame, which I think is also undisputable, is that we have the most efficient PEM electrolyzer in the world. But that's something we might talk about a little bit uh, later as well. Uh, so that, but that combination of having a very exciting technology and an innovative technology and being in a, in a green uh, energy space, being in the green energy space and being on the beachfront uh, is uh, <laughs> a, a, a nice cocktail that, uh, that I think makes us an attractive company to work for, for sure. Certainly. And actually, that leads us perfectly into the discussion on the technology. I think you, you touched on there being the most efficient, but there's a there's a few characteristics around the tech and why it's different and why it's scalable. Um, and I think that'd be really interesting for the audience to understand that, where you're differentiating yourself from the pack. Yes, I can do that and stop me if I get into too much detail. But uh, yeah, first of all, our tech was developed and patented at uh, Sintef originally, a leading Norwegian research institute. And my two co-founders, there were three co-founders in, in total, and uh, the two other co-founders are also the inventors, so I can't claim to be the inventor of our technology, even though I am an engineer originally. So that technology was developed over many, many years at Sintef and tested over many, many thousand hours as well. So what it basically is, is um, we have a patented solution that enables us to use a much thinner membrane in the PEM electrolyzer. And that gives us uh, a significantly improved uh, efficiency. So in a conventional electrolyzer, 
you need to use, relatively speaking, much uh, thicker membranes to avoid hydrogen crossing over from the cathode to the anode. And most of the losses in an electrolyzer are originate basically from, from the membrane. So the thicker the membrane, the higher the losses. So ideally, you'd like that membrane to be infinitely thin. However, if you make it too thin, you'll have this issue of hydrogen crossing over through the thin membrane to the oxygen side, and then you have an explosive gas mixture uh, of oxygen and uh, hydrogen, which is bad news and which you can't have, basically. So our solution enables us to use a thin membrane, and we have a, a air circulation on the anode side. So we take external air and we dilute that gas mixture so we can very effectively control the the hydrogen concentration. So it's a very simple and elegant solution, and it has some uh, additional benefits as well. It's a, a safer system because we have this external air ventilation, so we can, in any scenario where you'd have a hydrogen leak or uh, or any such things because of a component failure or something, we can we can actually keep on running the electrolyzer. We'll just ventilate with more air. So it's, there's a big safety benefit there, which has some cost benefits as well. And then in terms of scaling up and producing, we are actually using standard uh, fuel cell suppliers or um, components in our electrolyzers. The thinner membranes are not unique in themselves. They are mass produced for fuel cell applications. So we're benefiting from a supply chain where you have lots of qualified uh, state-of-the-art suppliers who, who can produce at volume and at lower cost. So we don't actually produce any components in-house. We outsource all of the production and work very closely with our suppliers. They're proprietary parts, but they're produced using existing high-volume manufacturing uh, processes and uh, the final assembly and quality control and uh, and everything else, if you like, that we need to do in our business is done in-house. So that's a relatively unique way of uh, operating, first of all, but it's all it all originates from that patented solution where we are able to use uh, thin membranes and where we can get much higher higher efficiency. Fantastic. Um, and touching on the inventors themselves, your co-founders, it's um, something that people are always interested in, the dynamic there. I guess this is... Um, a fairly common dynamic where you have a tech inventor or two um, and then a more commercial person. But as they were already a team and then you came into it, and I know you were an advisor at Syntef, so it's you, you had that prior knowledge, but how did that team form? How did you make that decision that you were going to spin it out of Syntef and go for it? Well, first of all, as you mentioned, I came into Syntef as an external advisor to look at this case and this technology and see if we could uh, could spin it out in cooperation with Syntef. So I, I was lucky to have an extended sort of dating and foreplay period with my two co-founders. So we had a chance to uh, to work closely together for uh, you know more than 18 months and uh, both review the technology and all the business aspects, but also to get to know each other on a on personal level and uh, so that was useful but I uh, would say that we from my point of view it was a good match from the beginning we we're very complementary both Magnus and Alejandro they, what I don't know about electrolyzers and fuel cells and and PEM and any other technology is not worth knowing they've seen they've seen it all 
and they're uh, they're great guys as well, which is important. You know, I don't, I'm not sure if I should say this on air, but there are there are plenty plenty of weird scientists out there, <laughs> but these guys are, are are normal guys, but also super smart and uh, experienced scientists. So I don't need to. They're not the sort of mad scientists you need to hide away, hide away in the basement when you have visitors. So they have uh, come up with a very very good invention and and. Uh, more importantly, now they are part of the management team here at uh, iStar, and they are uh, significant uh, shareholders in the company together with myself. So, minus is design uh, or, or managing the uh, product group as the chief product officer, and uh, Alejandro is the chief technology officer. And you know, I've, I'm getting on to my third, uh, the third value that I haven't mentioned yet, which is innovation. That is at the core of what we do at iStar. So we. Uh, see ourselves as a uh, sort of technology leader today we are not a market leader we are kind of an underdog uh, uh, still on on the market side but we have a very unique technology and that's something that we're investing heavily so to have that uh, foundation with uh, with my two co-founders on the technology and product side is key so we're building on top of that and investing in uh, in R&D equipment and uh, we have a we have a great uh, great development team, so we have lots of other smart stuff up our our sleeves and uh, have uh, plenty of exciting plans for the future. But I'm not going to tell you anything about that today. But maybe on the future podcast, uh. we'll have you back next year. But actually, just thinking about exciting things, I think things we can talk about. Firstly, you've had some amazing news recently around some funding, but also that you're this year delivering a kind of full-scale project with Equinox and Yara. And I think if you think about a business that's only two years old, it's fairly incredible. So I will let you choose which one you go to first on those two points. But I mean, both are brilliant. And I think we should we should discuss them both. Yeah. So I think maybe the uh, our first kind of in-field full-scale customer project, it's a semi-commercial project, I should point out, funded partially by the Norwegian government. But we're very fortunate to have uh, Yaira, one of the large, world's largest uh, fertilizer or, or, or clean ammonia companies, uh, you could say, and then uh, Equinoid, the sort of main Norwegian oil company. And we have Gasco as well in there, which is a gas distribution company. That was a key milestone for us because, uh, you know, showing great performance, even if you've run it for thousands of hours uh, in your own test facilities is one thing, but having it in the field is, uh, is something else. So. So that was a key milestone, and that, in a way, it triggered uh, us to go for our uh, second major funding round, so-called Series B funding round. We had the initial funding round a couple of years ago with AP Ventures as our lead investor, and with Sintef, the venture fund of Sintef, and the local Norwegian investment company alongside uh, us founders. But uh, now we're scaling up, and we're uh, in the process of... Um, discussing quite significant commercial opportunities with a number of customers and we're uh, doubling the size of our team uh, yet again in the next uh, one to two years and we're setting up a, a gigawatt production line that will decide on making an investment decision on that later this year so uh, what we do it uh, unfortunately requires some capital so <laughs> we can't uh, keep all of these uh, wonderful uh, things completely for ourselves. We have to uh, get in some uh, partners and investors who can help us to grow. And that was uh, 
a key thing with this round as well. We were fortunate to have several opportunities to finance the company, but our ideal scenario was to bring uh, bring along some large international industrial investors who could not only put in funding but also help us to grow the business and be part of uh, um, be our customers basically, and in some cases also our suppliers. So we got in. Mitsubishi Corporation, uh, Nippon Steel, and uh, an investment company uh, affiliated with ArcelorMittal, the, the large steel company. And then we have a couple of very large uh, financial funds as, as well in there who, who provide uh, a lot of financial muscle for the future. So we were fortunate to be able to, to pick and choose to some extent and get that mix of, uh, of uh, capital in. So, I was uh, joking when I said we had to share this with others, uh, but that's what makes us stronger as well. We are not a, uh, a, uh, a multi-billion dollar corporation uh, yet. <laughs> uh, we have some ways to go still and a lot of hard work ahead of us, but to have, have the close support and the cooperation with some of these very large companies who, who have very exciting and significant plans for green hydrogen that uh, gives us a nice mix of being uh, a dynamic uh, company that's growing fast but that also benefits from some uh, we have some some powerful uh, big brothers uh, and uncles uh, helping us uh, behind the scenes and also i guess it's that level of comfort that those organizations all see what you see Yes, it is. It's uh, although we might, might not feel we need it. It's also a uh, sort of underlining our own uh, belief in what we're doing, and uh, and yeah, to be honest, it helps us when we speak to to customers who might say, "Well, you know, I started as a company didn't exist two years ago or two and a half years ago, and it's fine. You've been working on this technology for the last ten years, but you're kind of a, a, a less uh, known company than some of uh, the other players out there." Uh, but it certainly it certainly helps quite a lot if you have uh, companies like uh, like we we have on our our, our shareholder list uh, who they don't sort of casually invest in companies and uh, they do their homework and uh, we are kind of an integral part of of their plans going forward as well. So uh, so it's been very useful. And what goes up must come down. So I always like to ask about the challenges as well. And I know setting up any company is difficult, but I guess you have a massive advantage that you've done it before, but was there anything you would have done differently looking back at those last two and a half years? It's a, it's a good question. And I've asked myself that question and I, um, th- we have had a very good start to, to during the first two years. It's, uh, I think what we've done best is we put together a, a fantastic team. So that was the main, main focus from the start. So, you know, we might have been a little bit lucky, but sometimes if you work hard and you, you surround yourself with good people, luck comes your way. So uh, I, it's the longest stretch I've had in my career without having uh, too many serious uh, issues uh, coming our way. So it's, uh, we've had a very, very good start to the company. So there aren't too many things I would have done differently, actually. We had uh, the benefit of being able to prepare the launch of High Star in, in, in a very good way, and uh, we had time to do it as well. But we have a lot of challenges ahead of us. The whole industry has, and I think it's not only us. Uh, there are enormous opportunities in front of uh, everyone in the green hydrogen industry, but also challenges. Nobody 
as yet delivered and commissioned is large. Uh, by large, I mean you know hundreds of megawatts, even even many tens of megawatts. It's, it's uh, still you know, only a couple of installations that are in operation in the world, and so there's uh, there will be plenty of challenges and opportunities for everyone, and uh, we. Uh, we will certainly face those as well, and um, that's something we talk about quite frequently here at High Star. You know, is what you have to try and look around the next corner and see, you know, what, what could what could face us there, and uh, and uh, make some contingency plans and continuously think, what if, you know, what if the supplier is late, and maybe we should have a a second source for this part. You know, supply chain being one of the ongoing challenges for a lot of companies these days, and um, continue to be obsessive about hiring the right people because hiring the wrong people will definitely set you back eventually invariably and statistically you will hire <laughs> wrong people and then you need to deal with it quickly and you know, not let it sit there for for a long while so um, if anything you know but the different list maybe we could have moved even faster although i think we're we're we're, we're ahead of schedule so to find that right balance between moving fast and being having a sense of urgency and uh, and make and to make sure that you you build the company in a sound and professional way uh, at the same time you need to find that balance and that balance is you know you're never on balance completely you might run a little too fast and then you have to say hey hang on we need to do this in a different way so you have to constantly be on the accelerator and the brake to to, to have that balance and then go full speed when you have so right now we're we're um, we're recruiting a lot of people, but we had a break for you know a few few months where we focused more on integrating the people we have on the team. So you you need to grow in in some stages, you know, like climbing the stairs. You run up ten flights of stairs, and then maybe you you you, you stay there for for a little while to catch your breath, and then you you run up the next uh, flight of stairs. Makes sense. And I think that's it is when you're growing really fast, it really is important to make sure if you take care of the people that you've got. Because yes, you want to grow, but the those fundamental team of individuals that you've got in place at the start hold so much knowledge that even when you grow that they're just so vital to the business. And that brings us almost to the end. Um, but one of the things that's come out of this, I think, is the fact that you're, you perhaps haven't made as many mistakes as some because you've done it before. I'm a, a first-time founder and find ourselves making a few more. Nothing huge and nothing unsolvable. But I guess that would be a, a what advice would you give the first-time founder? Not necessarily doing something in the electrolyzer space, but our audience is kind of broader, clean team. If you're sat there either as the scientist in the lab or you know, as the commercial mind, what, what advice would you give those people thinking about going at it for the first time? Well, I guess I will, uh, I will probably repeat, I'll repeat one thing that I've spoken about a few times already today, but it's make sure you surround yourself with the right people, you know, whether it's uh, co-founders or, uh, or your initial employees or investors or board members, make sure you have the right people around you who can uh, help you but who can challenge you and who can who you can work with as well that you have the same kind of outlook on life share the same values for for lack of a better uh, better term so i would say that's that's important and you know as a founder you need to be resilient because you will face challenges and i've faced i've made plenty of mistakes and i've 
I've stared into the abyss several times. <laughs> and you need to have a certain resilience and not, uh, uh, you know, you, you, you can't sort of worry too much. Uh, you need to worry in the right way. You know, a certain dose of paranoia is good, but uh, you have to deal with things uh, quickly and, and, and be able to cope with um, uh, problems and, and rejection and so on. But if you have that right team around you, then, you know, it makes you that much stronger. Um, another thing I would mention, which was also important for us starting high star is it depends on what type of business you start, obviously, but, uh, if you're doing something that should scale to a certain size of significant size, uh, I would say you should make sure you, you kind of, you think big from the start and that you also make sure you you get enough funding from from the start you know not all businesses need to be like that you know you can have more of a lifestyle business or a smaller business that uh, you don't intend to scale to, to, to a large company but if you're in dealing with a, a capital intensive uh, a startup that um, where you have ambitions to, to turn, turn it into a big company from the startup uh, in the future then make sure you kind of uh, have enough funding and that you have the right people to achieve a significant uh, milestones or, and, and then kind of uh, value that you build value in the company because you'll need more money down the road and you need to uh, show progress. And uh, uh, a lot of these companies, they raise too little money. Uh, that's uh, uh, something that uh, we uh, focused on at Highstar, that we were well-funded from, from the beginning. Which is easier said than done sometimes, of course. It's sometimes raising the financing can be challenging. And I've been there several times myself. Where I've had to beg and grovel and uh, speak to <laughs> people. Uh, so when you have the chance to raise money, you know, t take as much as you can kind of uh, within, within reason. Um, and actually something we've never talked about, but I'd just be interested on your view. There's a lot of kind of support networks for founders around. Are there any that you've come across that have been helpful? Not in the formal sense, but I, 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 I talk to a lot of people. I talk to other business owners. I talk to other CEOs. I talk to my own employees who worked in other companies. So I think being curious and uh, talking to other people is, is, uh, is good. I, I'm not part of any kind of uh, club or society or anything like that. But uh, learning from others is definitely, you know, learning from your own mistakes, first of all, and then and then learning from what you think you've done well and then doing that even better and, and talking to talking to people. So I think uh, that's something that uh, one should do for sure. And there are lots of, uh, you know, we're in the electrolyzer business, but as an example, now we just hired, hired a Spanish lady who joined us today and she, she comes from the uh, manufacturing side in the automotive world. You know, and uh, if you look at who are the best at... Uh, mass-producing um, kind of an advanced engineered product that's the automotive industry. So we are trying to learn from them. Nobody in the electrolyzer or fuel cell industry have done this at scale. So, you know, you should look outside and get inspiration from, from somebody who has, uh, has can bring in something new. In other cases, we talk to, uh, you know, PEM experts within a very narrow field because we need that expertise. So being out there and attracting the knowledge and and so on is, is an important um, skill to have, I think, also for a founder and for a CEO. You know, you don't have all the answers yourself. And if you think that, you're in deep trouble.
Yeah, and I think you might end up with some people knocking on your door when they found out you got the funding for the company when it didn't exist. It's a really nice place to be. Okay, well, thank you very much for sharing your story and your wisdom. Um, and the, the company certainly sounds like it's on an incredible trajectory. So I will be inviting you back to hear the what's next. Yeah, I might have uh, plenty of challenges to <laughs> talk to you about in the year from now. <laughs> so... Uh... But we're, we're having fun and we're enjoying uh, the success we've had so far, but we also realize we have a lot of really hard work ahead of us. So but as long as we are working on something meaningful and uh, we enjoy what we do, then uh, it's, uh, it's fine. Yeah, and we certainly wish you the best for doing it. And um, I think that's actually one last important message for everybody is, is you need to be enjoying it. Sometimes you can get a bit lost and it's good to look up and remember that smile. Yes, exactly. No, life is too short to work. To have a job that you don't enjoy. Exactly. All right. Well, well, Frederick, thank you so much. Um, it's been great having you on the show and closing out the Hydrogen series. And um, yeah, I have a feeling some of our listeners may be getting in touch. All right. Well, I'll be happy to talk to them. And I enjoyed being on your, uh, on your show, uh, Jenny. And, uh... Thank you for having me on. Thank you for listening to Conversations in Clean Tech, brought to you by Brightsmith. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, like, and leave a review. Every time you do, it helps others to find the show. For more information on how Brightsmith can help you to build a sustainable future through identifying, attracting, and retaining diverse talent, please head over to brightsmithgroup.com. Join us next time for more conversations in clean tech.